Thank you, Mike, for that ministry and music. I trust everyone has received a handout tonight. If you haven't, there are copies available. I'm sure there is someone that would be happy to distribute them. If anyone's in need, anyone need a handout, would you raise your hand? There are a few over here to my left. Also up here on the right, my right, your left. Tonight we are going to consider the topic of success, success. So I asked the question, what constitutes success? When are you successful? For many people, success takes on many different forms. Generally speaking, one is successful when one has accomplished one's goals. So as we think about a military offensive, we might say that it was, the campaign was a success when the particular ground that was trying to be won is conquered. One might be successful when they have completed their exam. So success has to do with accomplishing one's goals. One is successful when one has completed what one has set out to do. Sometimes people think of success as trying to gain financial independence or a certain degree of wealth or starting a business or whatever the case may be. Biblically, we are successful when we finish the work that God has given us to do. I'm going to give you a few examples here in the beginning, and then we're going to look at our text. Jesus was successful, for he finished the work that God had given him to do in saving his people. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It is very uh, common today for people to talk about having mission statements. An organization wants to have a mission statement. Well, his mission was to save the people that God had given to him. John 6, 37. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And he says this, for I came down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus came to accomplish the will, the purpose of God. And so let me begin by simply saying that in order to be successful, we have to accomplish the work that God has given us to do, or put it another way, to fulfill the reason for which God has saved us. He has saved us for good works. And the question is, what is that work in particular that he wants me to do? As I look out here to my right, I see all of these fine young people. And one of the things that I would encourage you to do tonight is to think about this question. A question about your future. Or I know many people are going to ask you, what do you want to do? What would you like to accomplish after you graduate? 
what would you like to become? I would like tonight to change that question in what is kind of a dramatic way. And for you not to soul search as to what you would like to do, but rather ask the question, what does God want me to do? What does God want you to do with your life? Why has God saved you? What purpose does he have for you? And of course, that question is relevant to every one of us tonight who knows the Lord is our Savior. Are we accomplishing the purpose for which God has saved us? He said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That is purely a Christian thought, but it's not limited to Jesus. For Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you into the world. Even as the Father had a purpose for Jesus, Jesus has a purpose for us. And so the question is not about our living our lives for ourselves, but our living our lives for, for God. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus makes it very clear. He knows what his purpose is in coming. He knows why God the Father sent him into this world, and he can state it very distinctly and very plainly, and that is that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. That is, every single person that God has entrusted to Jesus that Jesus will save. He didn't come to save every single human being or he would not have been successful. He came to save those who the Father had entrusted to him. And he said, I will lose nothing, but I will raise it up at the last day. And then in John 17, 4, he says, I have glorified you on earth. And now notice the way that he has glorified God, the Father, on earth. It's by having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That is the ultimate way in which we glorify God in our lives. He receives the most glory by our having accomplished, our having fulfilled, our having completed the purpose for God having saved us. That's when we're successful. He says, I have glorified you on the earth. That is, first of all, a primary goal in the life of Jesus. That is to bring honor and glory to God. And I submit to you, again, the way in which we ultimately bring honor and glory to God is not by lip service, it's not by what we say, but it is, in fact, dedicating our lives to accomplish the purpose for which he saved us. There is nothing more glorifying than a life that is dedicated to fulfill God's purpose and will. This was glorifying to God for it requires God's enablement. 
It requires God's help. It requires God's activity, and thus God is glorified as we serve him. Likewise, the Apostle Paul was successful in that he finished the work that God had given him to do. 2 Timothy 4, 7. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. And I have emboldened, I have finished the race. For that is speaking of the race that God had given him to complete. That is the work that he had given him to do, the life that he was to live. And it's interesting that he says, I fought the good fight meaning that it isn't easy. It isn't just a natural outcome of one's life, but it requires diligence, requires hard work. And then he says, I have kept the faith, for, of course, without keeping the faith, one cannot finish what God has given one to do. So Joshua was successful, for he had finished the work that God had given him to do. God had established two goals for Joshua. The first, Joshua was to obtain the inheritance that God had provided for Israel. That's why God made Joshua leader over the nation. That was the ultimate goal for Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, it reads, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land which I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. That was the ultimate goal and purpose for Joshua's leadership to bring the people into and conquer the promised land. And then secondly, Joshua was to see to it that Israel served God in the land of Canaan. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 10, it reads, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards that you and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. Joshua was successful in accomplishing the two goals that God had established for him. Joshua was successful in taking possession of the land, and dividing the inheritance among the people. Joshua 21, 43, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. 
And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And Joshua was successful in serving or in seeing to it that the children of Israel served the Lord in the land of Canaan. Joshua 24, 31. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord had done for Israel. So he was successful. Now I want to pause and ask the question, what was it that made Joshua successful or what was required in order for Joshua to be successful? So the theme tonight is, what will it take for us to be successful in this life? And again, I'm defining success as accomplishing the purpose for which God has saved us. Key verses, Joshua 1, 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So what is necessary for us to be successful? That is fulfilling the purpose for which God has saved us. Well, first, in order to be successful in life, we must rely upon the Lord for help. Joshua would be successful because of the Lord's help. Joshua 1.1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them. This was... God's provision. This was God's doing. God was going to accomplish this great feat. It wasn't just up to Joshua. God was behind it. God had ordained it. God would help him. Joshua 1.3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. Moses was successful because he had the Lord's help. Joshua 1.5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor forsake you. Moses and Joshua were two very different individuals. They had a different upbringing. They had different experiences. Moses, of course, was brought up in the king's palace. Joshua was brought up in pretty much a, a wilderness setting. Their gifts were far different. Their temperament was different. But what they had in common was the Lord's help. And it was what was the determining factor in their being successful. See, we too can be successful, for we are promised the Lord's help in accomplishing his purpose for us. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep 
your life free from love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So in this contentedness, it, it means don't look around for other assistance. Don't look around for other help. Don't think that success is going to depend upon how much money you have. Don't go that route. Don't go down that road. But rather, realize that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. For what can man do to me? Who can stand against God? Who can oppose God? And the promise that he made to Moses is the same promise that he made to Joshua. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's the promise that he has given to every single believer. Every single believer. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Every single believer can say, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. God doesn't just call us into service and then set us on our own course. But when God saves us and God establishes a purpose for us, he gifts us, he equips us, and he helps us every step of the way. So the first step in being successful and accomplishing the purpose for which God has saved us is to, to confidently rely upon God, not rely upon ourselves, not to be self sustaining, not to be independent, but to be a dependent people who are constantly looking to God for his enablement and his help. Secondly, in order to be successful in life, we must exercise a great deal of perseverance. It would take a great deal of perseverance on the part of Joshua to be successful. It says in Joshua 1.6, be strong, be strong. There are 40 different Hebrew words translated in English as the word strong. This word for strong means to be tenacious, not easily discouraged. We use the word in the sense in referring to a strong-willed child. A strong-willed child we usually associate with defiance. Because the strong-willed child isn't going to be affected by outside influences. The strong-willed child has made a decision, and they're going to do it. Whether they're, whether they're punished, whether they fall on their face, it doesn't matter because they have made a commitment. They have decided in their own mind what's the right thing to do, what they want to do, and they're going to stick to it. They're a strong-willed child. Well, this is being strong-willed in a positive light. It is saying that we are going to make a commitment to God. It's going to be a strong commitment. It's going to be an ironclad commitment. It's a life commitment of which we are going to say that nothing is going to dissuade us from fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. 
And we hold on to that commitment tenaciously. God had given a promise to Joshua. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. These words were not intended to promote apathy in the life of Joshua. To the contrary, they were intended to inspire him to duty and to confidence. It would take a long time and a lot of battles before Joshua would completely conquer the promised land. He was to see it through to the end. Application. In order to be successful, to fulfill God's purpose for us, it requires perseverance. We have a lifelong task and responsibility. We're not talking about something that is a commitment for six weeks, or six months, or even six years. We're talking about a lifelong commitment. We're talking about a commitment that doesn't end until our life ends. Until then, we are about to accomplish the purpose for which God has saved us. We must be in it for the long haul. Joshua was. Number three, in order to be successful in life, we must exercise a fearlessness. That is, we must not be daunted by anticipated negative outcomes. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. It takes fearlessness to stand against personal opposition. Courage. It doesn't require courage if there is nothing to fear. We're not talking about paranoia. And that is being afraid of something of which there is no reason to fear. People fear things that, that aren't there. It's not the boogie monster in the closet or that which is hiding under the bed when there is nothing there. Courage is required when there is a real and present danger. Joshua knew real and present dangers from without and from within. B, it takes Fearlessness to stand against personal opposition. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. That's a remarkable statement. Whoever rebels against your commandment disobeys your words. Whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Stand against rebels. Stand against opposition. Stand against those who will not listen to you. For God will be our defender. God will be our helper. But notice, you will encounter such things. Next, it takes a great deal of courage to consistently follow the Lord's commands. In verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. 
Before, there is an exhortation to be courageous. Now there is the, ex the exhortation to be very courageous. Be very courageous. And notice the way in which that is manifested. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. To simply obey the commands of God. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be the leader of the nation of Israel when they come against Jericho and he announces that they're going to walk around this city seven times and the wall's going to fall down? That sounded as stupid then as it does now. And more so because we know how it turned out. I mean, put yourself in that situation in which you have to stand up and declare that we're going to march around this city for seven days, and the seventh, time, seventh day we're going to march around seven times, and then these walls are going to fall flat, and we're going to, we're going to take this city. You can only imagine how many people thought that that was not a good idea. In fact, it's my personal belief that it's one of the reasons why God commanded that there would be absolute silence. Because if there wasn't absolute silence, you'd hear a lot of murmuring and, and grumbling. It was God's grace that he commanded, don't anybody say anything. Because it wasn't going to be a good conversation as they marched around these walls. Oh, this is boring. Oh, this is a long journey. Oh, this is stupid. It takes courage. It takes courage. It takes courage to speak to your friends. It takes courage to stand out in a crowd. It takes courage to take a position that nobody else takes. That you're not going to use drugs. That you are not going to engage in premarital sex. And if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend that is pushing you to do so, that you're willing to break it off and to say no. It takes courage. It takes a fearlessness. It takes a commitment to not worry about what other people are going to say and what other people are going to think. And it's so easy to say it, but it's so hard to live by. And we never, ever grow out of peer pressure. Don't buy into that lie that it's only teens that have peer pressure. Every one of us knows how difficult it is for us to be willing to look silly in the eyes of others in order to stand for the things of God. Joshua, you've got to be very courageous. Application. Number one, it only takes courage when a real and present danger is present. Thus, the exhortation to have courage carries with it the realization that there is much that can cause fear, that needs to be overcome. It is easy to develop scenarios in your mind 
that if what God wants me to do, I do, this is just going to blow up. You know, you've been there. When you know what is the right thing to do, but you're just so concerned about the outcome of that, what are people going to think? What are people going to do if I do what I know is the right thing to do? Am I going to lose my friends? Parents can ask the question, am I going to lose my child's love if I take the stand that I need to take. But I'm afraid. Afraid that they're going to walk away from me and they're going to walk away from the faith. I, I can't oppose them by standing on the word of God. That's when we need to remember that the Lord is our helper. That's when we need to remember that it is God who works on the heart it is God who brings people to faith. It is God who keeps people. And God uses his word. It takes courage to believe and trust God for the outcomes. Again, number three, the courage is not to be the result of self-confidence or a sense of invincibility. Rather, it's the confidence in God's invincibility. Paul said that when I am weak, then I am strong. It is when we have the least confidence in ourselves that we are the strongest in our dependence upon God. None of us are up to the task, and so we need the Lord's help. Number four, it takes... Courage to stand for the Lord's word. And it takes more courage to stand for the Lord's word than it does even to go to battle. Let me say that again. It takes more courage to stand for the Lord's word than it does to go to battle. It would have been easier for Joshua to summon the army of Israel and meet the inhabitants of Jericho on the plain than it would have been to march around that city and to wait for it to fall. Courage in simply trusting God to do what he says he will do in our modern age, to believe that preaching his word is actually going to attract people, is actually going to transform lives, thinking that there must be some better way. Number four, in order to be successful in life, we must give ourselves to the word of God. We are to mutter the word of God. That is, we are to talk the word of God to ourselves. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. There are a number of different Hebrew words that are translated into English as the word meditate. The most common one, and, and the one that I 
enjoy the imagery of is of that of chewing the cud, because I grew up on a farm. And a, a, a cow has four stomachs. And a cow is one of those animals that chews the cud, which means they, they get a wad of silage or food in their mouth, and they swallow it, and it goes down into one stomach, and then it's regurgitated. And then they spit it up, and it's in their mouth, and they just grind on it like this. If you just watch a cow, their mouth is always moving because they're just grinding on this cud. That's one image of meditating, of just grinding on the word, of, of just going over it and over it and over it and over it. This is the word to mutter. I'm a person who talks to myself. I talk to myself a lot. I argue with myself. I debate. I take one side and I take the other side. I think about things. This is a word that simply talks about talk to yourself. Mutter. Speak God's word over and over again to you. Maybe one of the ways that you do that is as you memorize scripture. You know, uh, one of the things that we can do is as we try to memorize, uh, they tell us the, the more senses that you have engaged in uh, seeking to memorize, the easier it is and the more likely you are to remember. So if you want to memorize a verse, you want to be looking at it. You want to be reading it. You want your eye to see it. And then you want to speak it. So you want to look at John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Then you want to say, for God so loved the world. But you don't want to just say it in your head. You want to say it audibly so you hear it. For God so loved the world. You've, you've entered into three senses. It makes it easier. Okay? So as we think about this muttering of God's word, it is literally to be going over and over God's word, speaking it to ourselves, trying to understand it, bring it to memory, and it guards the meditations of our heart. For if we are speaking and muttering the word of God, we can't be speaking and muttering something else. We can't be thinking of anything else. B, we're to pay close attention in order to discern and follow the word of God. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Obedience to that word. To do it. To do it. As we read the word of God, and we want to be blessed, what does that blessing consist of? What are we looking for as we read the Word of God? Are, are we we're looking for an emotional feeling, a response? Or, are we looking for comfort? Are we looking for peace? Uh, are, are, are we trying to dissuade our guilt? Are, are we looking for some kind of emotional response? There's a place for that. There's a place for that. Are we just expecting that because we read, that means we're blessed and and this is kind of a good work, and, and God is going to pour out his favor upon us. 
we find that the ultimate reason to be reading the Word of God is seeking to live it out, seeking to obey it, seeking to put it into practice. You know, I, I said that, that we all need to be doing the purpose for which God has saved us. And one of the great teen topics that everybody always wants to know is how do you know the will of God? How do you know what it is that God wants you to do? He speaks through his word. As you read his word and you seek to live it out, it will become pretty apparent to you. There will be portions of scripture that will just jump off the pages. You will know what God would have you to do. Then do it. See, to faithfully follow the word of God requires a careful analysis of our decisions and our actions. Notice verse 8 says, so that you may be careful to do. It requires introspection. It requires a thoughtful response. It means that I and you on a regular basis are going to take stock of our lives. Where are we? Where are we? Are we walking the straight and narrow? Are, are we on the path of fulfilling the purpose of God? Or have we taken some side roads? Have, have we reached a fork and we're going down the wrong road? Where am I in my sanctification? Where am I in my journey? Am I on the right road even? It all takes thought. Then you will win, you will, <clears throat> then you will <clears throat> win your way in the battle. Sorry, that's, that's bad. But notice uh, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous. And you will make your way prosperous. Uh, meaning that you will be uh, accomplishing your purpose. And then, ultimately, you'll be wise and accomplish your purpose. You will have good success. The difference with prosperous and success is that prosperity is a part of the journey. The success is the completion. All right? So as your way is prosperous, you're getting close. You're getting to the end. So for Joshua... It was battle after battle after battle. Jericho didn't end the battles, as you well know. But God was prospering Israel. They were having success after success after success. And the promise is, as, as you are seeking to do and fulfill God's purpose for your life, you will see God at work and you will see the prosperity of accomplishing more and more and more of what God wants you to do. You're going to see fruit. You're going to see outcomes. You're going to be able to look back and see God at work and thank him for what he is doing and trust him for what he ultimately will fulfill and accomplish. Application. We can never view ourselves as successful in life if we're not following the Lord's commands. 
Following God necessitates that we know his word and make decisions that are in keeping with that word. Living a godly life is a, necess is a necessity in all our pursuits. And in order to be successful, we cannot give up. It says in Joshua 1.9, and do not be dismayed. Joshua would encounter setbacks such as the defeat of Ai. However, Joshua cannot allow that to discourage him or dissuade him for entering the future battles. Ai cannot be the place where Joshua says, I quit. I quit. That's why Paul says, I have fought the good fight. It requires taking some real hits. There are going to be times in your life that you're down. There are going to be times in your life that you're going to question, is it worth it? There are going to be times in your life that you're disappointed with yourself and with others. There are times in which you are going to say to yourself, I'd rather do almost anything else than what I'm doing right now. But if you're convinced that this is what God would want you to do, you don't quit. You don't quit. You continue on. And without that mindset of continuing on, you can't be successful. The world knows it. We have all these cliches. If at first you don't succeed, try and try again. If you fall down, get up. If you're bucked off the horse, you get back on. There are all these cliches of saying, if you're going to be successful, it's a determination that you continue on even when you have setbacks. Joshua was successful because all of these characteristics were manifested in his life. But we come full circle. And we come around to, again, because God had called him, God had given him a work to do, and Joshua relied upon God for the fulfillment of that work. And it was accomplished. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us in the work that you have called us to do. I pray that each and every one here tonight has a pretty clear understanding of why you have saved them and what their role is in the kingdom of God. Whether they were teaching Sunday school, whether they're serving in a nursery, whatever it is, whatever gifts that you have given, whatever they have dedicated to your glory, whether it be the gift of hospitality, whether it be serving in the kitchen, whatever it is, Lord, help us, help us to first and foremost keep in mind accomplishing your purpose and your will. Not our will, but yours. And if people are discouraged tonight, Lord, refresh them, renew them in their spirit. Give them confidence in you. Give them a joy and delight in all the things that are taking place. And Lord, if we're in a place right now where we're meeting great success, may we not pat ourselves on the back and may we not become proud but may we recognize that all success ultimately comes from you. May we give you the glory, may we give you the praise, and may we trust you even more for that which is before us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, and we are dismissed.